Our scripture today is from Philippians 3, verses 8 through 12. Indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Irene. And Irene uh, has been faithfully back in the room over here after services. She's here at the first service. If you need prayer, if if you want to just raise up prayers for somebody in your life, for somebody you're concerned about, she will be there uh, after the service. She, uh, we like to say she'll be there for 15 to 20 minutes. If you need time. Uh, to, uh, to get back there, she will be there waiting for you. What was the greatest day of your life? Think about that for a moment. What was the greatest day of your life? For the Apostle Paul, it is obvious in his writings, it was the day of his baptism. You may remember Paul had been on a, a trip to imprison Christians. Uh, in the book of Acts, we have a scene where Paul stands by as uh, Stephen is stoned to death, a Christian, for his, for his faith. Paul had documents from the temple authorizing him to go out into the surrounding cities to round up any followers of this Jesus and to persecute them, take them prisoner, kick them out of the synagogues. Paul was doing that because he was respected. He had gone to the finest school of the law. As far as abiding by the law, he said, I was a Hebrew among Hebrews. Nobody was more adherent to that law and faithful to that law than I was. Paul also was a man of extreme passions. And Jesus saw that. And so on the road to Damascus, as Paul was heading out to do uh, his dirty work against the church, Jesus called out to him. Because he knew that the passions within Saul were generated by a false idea of what it meant to obey God. Paul was trapped. He was a slave of the law. And he enslaved others because of that law. But Jesus offered him grace and forgiveness. Not based upon his adherence to the law, but based upon his faith in Jesus Christ. So when he was baptized, and the scales of blindness fell away from his eyes, and he could see again, it was more than just physical sight he recovered. Suddenly he saw the world and life in a very different way. What was the greatest day of your life? Listen to this from Paul this morning as Irene has just read it to us. I want to go through this uh, for a few moments. First, he, he brags preceding the reading this morning. He brags about all the things 
that he had to his credit before he was a Christian, before he knew Jesus. They had been circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a great tribe to belong to, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law. He was a Pharisee, which meant that he was zealous about the law and about his faith. With great zeal, he persecuted the church enthusiastically. And as for righteousness based on the law, he says, I was faultless. And yet, whatever of these things were to my credit, were gained to me, I now consider them loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And in fact, I consider all these things now as garbage, or as the Greek literally says, dung, manure. There's an amazing thing here. As I was reading this the other day, I thought he said, Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And I thought normally when we speak like this, we say we would be willing to lose everything for Jesus. We, we talk about a promise. We make this, you know, if it was ever called for, yes, I would be willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of Jesus. But it's a promise most of us would compromise on or abandon in the face of such loss if we were ever asked to do that. Ten people a day executed for their faith in Jesus Christ in this world. Losing everything. And Paul was one of those folks who was willing to do that. And in fact, as he writes these words, he's in prison in Rome. And to the Philippian church, he writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice in the midst of a prison. In chains for his faith in the same way that he had once put people in chains for that same faith. And he talks about it to the Philippian church. He says, I, I, I know it may concern you that I'm here, and, and you may wonder where is God in this, but I'm going to tell you where God is in this. God has given me free passage to Rome on a ship, because they threw him on a ship and took him over there as a prisoner. I didn't have to pay for this trip. And then they placed me in Rome, the capital of the civilized world. The place where the gospel needs to be preached. And I'm surrounded by the palace guard who have great influence. And every day I'm able to talk with them about Jesus. Isn't it fantastic what God can do for us? Isn't it such a blessing that God has put me in prison here? Now, some people would say Paul was the ultimate optimist, but I don't think so. I don't think it was natural to him. I think he was an optimist because of his faith in Jesus Christ. He didn't believe that he, Paul, could do everything. He didn't believe that he could be, uh, be errorless, but he believed that Jesus Christ could do all things. And that he was lost in his love for Christ. It was everything that kept him going. You know, uh, every year when I'm at the Board of Ordained Ministry for those total of eight days uh, for interviews of prospective pastors who want to be ordained. Now, at the end of this month, we, we will ordain people, not ordain people, but interview people who are trying to get into the system 
and they will be what's called provisional. It used to be probationary, but they thought probationary, probationary sounded a little bit rough. So then they'll have a few more years before they come back to be interviewed for ordination. And at each step of the way, we give them what's called an action plan after they are interviewed. And they're interviewed by four different committees as to different aspects of ministry. And the action plan tells them, this is what we found you wanting in. These are the areas you didn't match up to the expectations. And so oftentimes it kind of destroys people. They, they give up first time around. They can come back a total of nine times. Some people have come back nine times and never passed. But we give them this action plan. We say, well, you would benefit from being part of a, of a scripture discussion group, maybe a Bible study every week, maybe with other pastors, maybe a, a, a group where you would plan your sermons together. You would benefit from counseling. Or maybe a psychiatrist. Uh, sometimes it's extreme. And we put down all these, all these, sometimes a very long list of expectations. If you're going to come back next year to be interviewed, you need to do these things. This is your action plan. You need to do these things. And when you come back, you had better have evidence that you have done them. So it's tough. It's rough. And a lot of them are found wanting. But they have this action plan. And the thing is, folks, in the title of the sermon today, Don't Let Your Past Define You, what we're asking these folks to do is to not remain where they are, but to have a deliberate, determined, laid-out plan for moving forward. And to ask God to give them the strength to do that. Now, in the Christian life, if you're not a pastor... Many times, people sort of come to that point. They may go to church for a little bit. They may get baptized. They confess their faith in Jesus. This is, this is very much talked about in Baptist churches, I know, because they're very big on if you, if you uh, want to place your uh, faith in Jesus Christ this evening, would you just raise your hand? And somebody raised a hand. They said, well, let's pray this prayer together. And they pray the sinner's prayer together. And there are people who interpret that as, glory, hallelujah, now I'm in heaven. Where's the bar? You know, uh, they just, I got my ticket into heaven, that's it. And they talk about that a lot. I read about that a lot in, in, in discussions with pastors about what do we do about people who get the impression that because our salvation is free, it means that they don't ever have to grow in Christ. They don't have to change a wit of their lives for the sake of this. And so there are a lot of people like that. But there are other people who come to Christ and they take it very seriously, but they can't get past their past. You see, Paul had to get past his past. He had been an enemy of the church. And in fact, he ran into some tough times with some of the churches because they knew his reputation. And now he wants to come in and be part of them. And yet they knew him as someone who scared them to death. How does he make that transition? You know, some folks might have said, well, you know, listen, I just need to hang low. I'll have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'll sit at home and I'll watch the preacher on the TV every Sunday, but I don't want to go to churches because they know my reputation. They're not going to accept me. That that wasn't Paul. Paul pushed on wherever the Holy Spirit led him. Wherever God told him to go, he went there fearlessly, even knowing that there would be suspicion and opposition to him. And that happened. 
But there are a lot of us who at some point in our lives, for whatever reason, we give up on ourselves. Or we say, I'm too old to make that decision for Jesus Christ. Or I made it years ago, so I'm safe, right? Even though in the intervening 40 years, I have never done a thing for Christ. I haven't even prayed. So people have all kinds of situations that are going on where maybe they have just given up. And said, you know, I see how I've been in the past. That's the way it's always going to be. I can't change. I wrote about uh, a little story in the weekly email about a man at, at the church that I was in before, I came, where I was called to be a pastor. I wasn't a pastor yet there. And um, he, uh, he actually had died by the time I joined the church, but the church folks would tell the story of this guy, how he came, showed up at the church one day, past retirement age, a man with a terrible reputation, a man who hated churches. He would never set foot in a church. And one day he showed up at the church, and he walked in. Next Wednesday night, he showed up for choir practice, started singing. If there was something to do, he was volunteering, had his hand up to do it, gave his life to Christ, was baptized. This was a little church. This was a little 1859 church that didn't have any restrooms. Little outhouse out the back, little old post office, just one tiny little room, uh, about half the size of the choir area up here that they could uh, teach a class in. That was it. it had been hauled over to the church and set behind it, and that was the only Sunday school class they had. So it was needing something. This guy built them a kitchen, a fellowship hall, and classrooms. Built a building, building outside detached from this historical building. But he headed that up and was there every day laboring on this building. And when I heard that story, I thought, isn't it remarkable that sometimes, you know, we are so youth-driven. We've got to get the young people in the church. And old people don't usually make decisions for Christ, and you know, because they're kind of set in their ways and all. And yet in this church over the nine years I've been here, we've had more baptisms of older people than of younger people. I've seen people say, I want a fresh start. I've seen people who we usually assume are too set in their ways to do that make the big change. I've told you the story about Wayne, my, my uh, uh, lay leader down at one of the first, my, my first churches. I had three churches. They, the bishop thought so much of me that he said, I think this guy can handle three churches. And it was quite an honor. So you found out it was the opposite, you know. The less they respected you, the more churches you got. But I was brand new, so they put me in this three-point charge. And one of the churches, the smallest of the churches, had averaged maybe 18 or so on a Sunday. Uh, Wayne was my lay leader. And I decided, we're going to go on a mission trip. We're going to go to Jamaica. And everybody says, well, that's a vacation. That's not a mission trip. Believe me, Jamaica has its, its parts. You get in that southern part where we are, a lot of poverty. So Wayne said he wanted to go. Most of the people on my three-point charge had never been out of Virginia, much less out of the country. I compared it to, you remember those old maps that would have the dragons and the words on them in the old, you know, 500 years ago. They didn't know what the world, they didn't know it was round, they didn't know. So they would have this place where everything dropped off, and then you had all the dragons and the sea serpents and all. And it would say in big words, it would say uh, something about not going past this point, 
you know, uh, that uh, beyond here lies death, all these warnings to you. I felt like that with the people of my church. They were scared about this. But I got enough to make up a mission trip, and Wayne was going to go until about a week before, because in talking about the mission trip, I shared with the team uh, just before that that uh, we would be staying in the homes of Jamaicans. Wayne came, and I remember we sat all on the front steps of, the, of that church and shared with me, Bob, I can't go. And I said, well, why not, Wayne? Now, Wayne, you got to know, was a guy every Sunday who was pumping his fist into the air and amening me on everything. Boy, he loved the Lord, his words, everything was about Jesus. This guy was focused. They said, I can't go. Why? I've never stayed in the home of a black person. And he was scared. And so, God for once gave me a little bit of wisdom. And he, I said, Wayne, I said, I tell you what, when we go on this trip, I'm going to be your roommate. And I'll be with you that first night. And if you at any point feel you can't do it, we'll go find you at someplace else. You can sleep in the church building or someplace but I'm not going to force you if you can't. So he agreed. And of course, my prayer was he would go and he would be changed. 75 years old. Racism, that hidden dark stain in there that I had never seen before, all of a sudden revealed. And I wondered what was going to happen. We got down there. And on the very first day, if you ever go on a mission trip to a place like Jamaica or Haiti, those folks... They may be malnourished, they may be hungry, but they can work circles around any American. I don't care. You could take our best athletes and put them down there. They would be exhausted within 15 minutes if they were working at the pace that these people work at. And there was a big guy, about this wide, not very tall, just a fire plug kind of guy. Massive calves. Would have loved to have him on a football team up here. And we were just in awe of them. They, they didn't have cement mixers, so the way they, and we were doing a huge project. They were mixing all the cement by hand. They make a, a ground pan, and then they, they just go around with the shovel and just do this all day, uh, just, just turning and turning and, and lifting, and it was incredible. But above that, what was most impressive was their faith, how friendly they were to us, how joyful they were in their work. Well, after that first day, the next morning, we had our uh, team devotions. We gathered together around 7 o'clock in the morning uh, to pray and all, and Wayne said he wanted to talk to the group and included our Jamaican laborers who were helping us with that. So it was about eight, eight guys. And Wayne stood up there and said, I was wrong. I came here against my will. Because I didn't want to sleep in your homes. And he began to cry and just could only get out, forgive me. And all those Jamaicans and everybody on the team gathered around him and hugged him. 75 years old, Wayne changed. He didn't let his past define him. He didn't let that past stop him from changing his heart. And getting up with the courage that it took to say that to that group, but he knew he had to do it. By the way, Wayne was a barber. 
but I never trusted him to cut my hair. But uh, just a good guy. That, that's the thing, folks, is we go through here and sometimes uh, we have so many misconceptions about the Christian life. You know the other thing Paul says in here? Listen to this. I consider all this garbage so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Not in the law is my righteousness, but my faith in Jesus Christ is what justifies me. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and to participate in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I want, (laughs) I can't imagine, how many people in America today are, are praying, Lord, I just want to participate in the sufferings of Jesus. I, I, I want to have the honor of suffering for Jesus. Where's that being prayed today? Not much on television. Mostly it's, God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to be wealthy. God wants you to have stuff. There's a whole whole plague, I believe, of, of false doctrine floating around about this. If you name it and claim it, God will give it to you. That you're little gods. And God wants nothing else than for you to be happy. In fact, the whole point of worship is for you to enjoy worship because God gets such a kick, such a kick out of seeing you enjoy worship. Those are the words of a TV preacher I heard recently. It's all about you. And how far away that is from what the Scriptures tell us. Folks, don't... Whatever your age, whatever your situation, don't think that God cannot use you. Do not think that God cannot change you. Do not think that the smallest thing that you do in the name of Jesus Christ will not be rewarded by God in heaven. That the smallest thing that you suffer for Jesus Christ will not be rewarded by God in heaven. Jesus Christ said it himself. He said, woe to those who are full and fed now. Woe to those who enjoy riches now. I mean, he has this whole list of things. But blessed are those who hunger. Blessed are those who suffer for righteousness' sake. And yet we have this whole stream of theology being taught out there that says it's all about our comfort, our wealth, our riches. Folks, don't think for a moment that God doesn't see your suffering and see your pain and care about you. Don't think for a moment that what you do isn't worth something. I have to tell you, I get a kick in this church. There are a lot of people who do what people would interpret as little things, small things. Sharpening the pencils. You know, people come up and check the pencils every week. Make sure the cards, we got all the cards in here. Make sure everything's cleaned up. People, people change the banners and the pyramids. Uh, people work on the... On, on the PowerPoint. People come and they make apple dumplings to raise money for our church. People come and, uh, and prepare meals like they did on, on Monday for Gail Meeks and her family. All those things mean something to God. They may not mean something to the world, but they mean something to God. And you're never too old to do that. And you always have something you can give, you can contribute to the kingdom of God.
He welcomes us into that. I'm going to just wind up because I've, I've got time is against me and I'm, I'm just going to, uh, time's always against me when I preach for some reason. Um, I think God speeds up time while I preach intentionally to cut me short. Uh, going, just a couple of things, little things here I ran across this week. In 1756, a letter came to John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, from a father who had a prodigal son, a son who was rebellious. And when the Methodist revival swept over England, the son was in York Jail. And one of the things that the Methodists did was they did a lot of preaching in the jails. And when there was going to be executions, the Methodists were always sure to go down to the executions, not to to watch or to cheer, but to pray with those who were going to be executed. And to share the gospel with them in the hopes that they might, might, just might, claim salvation in Jesus Christ. So this letter from this father said, It pleased God not to cut him off in his sins. God gave him time to repent. And not only so, he gave my son a heart to repent. This man's boy was condemned to death. For his misdeeds. And the father's letter goes on. I saw his peace increase daily. Until on Saturday. The day he was to die. He came out of the condemned room. Clothed in his shroud. And went into the cart. And as he went on. The cheerfulness and the composure of his countenance. Was a testimony. To all the spectators who were amazed. The lad had found a joy. That not even the scaffold could take. Away. Even a condemned criminal wasn't defined by God, by the crimes of his past, but received the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And just remember these folks in the Bible Abraham was old, Elijah was suicidal. Joseph was abused and Job went bankrupt. Moses had a speech problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute and an ancestor in the direct line of Jesus Christ. The Samaritan woman was divorced six times. Noah was a drunk. Jeremiah was young, too young. And Jacob was a cheater, and David was a murderer, and Jonah ran away from God, and Naomi was a widow. Peter denied Christ three times. Martha worried about everything. Zacchaeus was small, and he was money hungry. The disciples all fell asleep while praying with Jesus. And Paul, a Pharisee who persecuted Christians before he became one. You hear that? The Bible is overwhelmingly filled with people who didn't deserve the grace of God, but every one of them was used by God, received His grace, and will be with us in heaven. Don't give up on yourselves. Don't beat yourself up over what has been the past, because God is doing a new thing in you, and He's preparing you for heaven this very day. And amen.